0: Well, good morning, friends. It's always great to see your smiling faces. Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you. I want to invite you to pull up a chair, lean in, and allow me to engage you in a talk about talk. Here's the premise for today's message drawn right out of our text. The greatest reveal that you are truly a child of God is demonstrated in how you talk, what you say, and what you say about other people. Let me illustrate. Some of you likely have visited the grave of the 16th president of these United States, the famous Abraham Lincoln. It's located in Springfield, Illinois. What you probably don't know is that after his burial, his coffin was twice pried open. The first occurred some 22 years after his assassination, 1887. You say, why? Why did that happen? There was a rumor circulating, talking heads all around the nation The body's not in the coffin. So they pried it open. And the rumor proved untrue. Rumors are harder to bury than assassinated presidents. If you can believe it, 14 years later, despite the protests of Lincoln's son, Robert, the rumor began to swirl again. And so one more time, they exhumed the body of the late president, opened it up, and found the body was still there. It only reveals the fact that mankind, human beings, have a problem with the tongue, rumor, gossip being merely one of them. Now I'm talking to a a great crowd here in this second service, and chances are some of you are going through a crisis, a hard time, a trial, and when we're in a trial, kind of atmosphere, it's easy for us to grow negative or critical or bitter in how we talk. Jesus put his finger on the real issue when in Matthew 12 and 24, 34, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say flows out of who you are on the inside, the core of your being. Contemporary pastor Sinclair Ferguson adds some colorful word pictures to help us understand what he says that I'm quoting. Our use of the tongue is the hinge on which the door into our soul swings open in order to reveal our spirit. In effect, our words are like so many media people rushing to file the reports on the condition of our soul. James speaks to this at length. If you have a Bible, please join me in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And as you can see on the slide, my message is entitled, Taming the Tongue. And I need to give a word of explanation. James is employing a Hebraic figure of speech called metonymy. Metonymy is when a part of something is used to refer to the whole. For example, the White House is often used as an expression for the decisions of the presidency. In today's text, the tongue is merely the conduit of our speech, which is connected to our heart, to our inner being. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, and so he talks. The words you speak, first of all, are in your heart, and they're revealed by what you say. James gives three insights. He's hard-hitting. You know that already from going thus far in our series. Here's the first of James' insights. Control of the tongue is the mark of Christian maturity. Control of the tongue is the mark of Christian maturity. To verse 1 and 2, he gives a word of admonition to some of his brothers. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach, or in this case, preach, will be judged with a greater strictness. And believe me, this verse makes me sit up and take notice because I'm the one doing the talking today. Watch out, Kurt. You'll give an account for what you say. Verse 2 For we all stumble in many ways. He's saying we all sin in a variety of ways. I think we'd all agree with that. Yeah, we do. We sin in many ways. But he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, and this leads me back to the premise I established a few moments ago, if he does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. The word means complete or mature or in our context, actually even genuinely saved. And he's able to bridle the entire body if he can control the tongue. Go back to verse one. In the early church, in the assembly, or the synagogue as the word is translated, the floor was opened up for unofficial lay teachers called the the dadaskaloi to get up and speak if they wanted to, share whatever they desired in a spontaneous fashion. It would be as if I stopped my message right now and said, anybody out there like to get up, come down to the front and stand here and just give us a little mini message extemporaneously? Now, a lot of you would run away in horror at the thought. But some of you would say, yeah, yeah, Kurt. I got something on my chest. I want to get up there. Give me the mic. (laughs) Well, actually, James observed that too many of his extemporaneous speakers were overly anxious to hear themselves talk, to share their own thoughts, their own words as over against the word of God. And he warned them. And he's warning me today. And anybody who teaches the Word of God, you on the other side across the great divide will give an account before the great assize, the judgment seat of Christ, for what you say and how you say it. Only the spiritually mature should be allowed to speak. Now, most of you are not preachers, so I'm going to make a broader application. By extension, every believer is entrusted with family talk around impressionable ears, and that includes the holidays. Christmas time is synonymous with family time, and likely every person here has some kind of extended family member who flits in and out and has little regard for the feelings of the rest of the family. Do I have a witness? a kind of loose cannon. I I think about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Clark Griswold's crazy cousin, Eddie. Some of you have a crazy cousin, Eddie, or uncle. These relatives remind me of a bird on the loose in the house. And I hearken back to a year ago when my lovely wife Karen and I were preparing for Christmas. She was cooking up a storm on the stove And she had the stove covered with food. And she'd also cooked a number of items. And they were laying uncovered on the island in the kitchen. Well, her faithful husband, Kurt goes to the front door to open it up. For whatever reason, I can't remember. But a little sparrow that had been nestling in the wreath on the front door decided to fly in instead of flying out. And I said, Karen, there's a sparrow in the house. She shrieked. Get that thing out of here. I had visions of this little avian bomber dropping a load (laughs) on top of our uncovered dishes on the island. Like, oh, no, no. You should have seen me broom in hand running around the house chasing that little critter. It would have been fitting scene for America's Funniest Home Videos. But seriously, what do you do when difficult people fly into your house? Even more to the point, how do you speak to your own family at home? How do you speak to your spouse, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents? Is it just me, or does it seem like we... We reserve the harshest criticism for those we supposedly love the most. We can be mean behind closed doors. It would appear that all of us bruise as easily as a banana. At Christmas time, adults and children can get overly stimulated, tired. If we're not careful, we can respond spitefully. Tis the season to be. Crabby, na 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 na. Mm. There's a scene that runs close to home. <laughs> uh, we need to change that song to this. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Sing it with me. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. And big tongues, too. Why? Because, here it is, communication is the currency of relationships, and we cannot afford to go broke, especially at home. Proverbs tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue is amazing. It's only two and a half, three ounces in weight. But physically, it's the strongest muscle in your body. And figuratively speaking, the same could be said. I want you to look at the two analogies in verses 3 through 5, where James talks about the use of a bit in a horse and a rudder on a ship. Look at at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now look at the ships also, though they're very large and driven by strong winds. They're guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, here's the application. So also the tongue is a small member, but it boasts of great things. The bit and bridle on a horse can control an animal of more than 1,000 pounds. In fact, you see a picture here of a draft horse hitch. I had a relative named Corny who had a six-horse Belgian hitch that looked a lot like this. Really impressive. These creatures weighed up to 2,000 pounds a piece, so you didn't want them stepping on your toes. But when they're all harnessed up, With bridle and bit, I mean, if you've been down to the Iowa State Fair and and the the Livestock Pavilion, you can see them doing figure eights. It's amazing what a bit can do to control a large animal like this. (laughs) Then the same thing is true, of course, with the rudder. In Bible times, ships were driven by wind through the sails, but without the underwater rudder, they would have no control. In the same way, the small tongue controls the entirety of your spiritual being. I can tell more about you by how you talk than anything else you do. Your works through your words. So control of the tongue is a mark of spiritual maturity. A second insight, destruction with the tongue is a mark of satanic iniquity. Does that seem like an overstatement to you? It shouldn't, especially if you look at verse six, where James links the source of wicked speech to hell, and he uses the word Gehenna, which was taken from the valley of Hinnom just outside the walls of Jerusalem, the garbage dump where there was continual burning. And Jesus said, you know what the lake of fire at the end of time is going to be like? Look at that. The lake of fire, Revelation 20, reserved for the devil and his angels and all people whose names are not found written in the book of life. Is your name in that book? You don't want to go to that place. But the illustration here is that an evil tongue is linked to the lake of fire. James also likens wicked speech to untamed beasts and the poison of venomous reptiles. Look now at our text, verse 5b, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members or our body parts, staining the whole of the body, set on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell, lake of fire, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed, has been tamed by mankind. You've been to SeaWorld, maybe to a zoo where they've trained wild animals. But he concludes by saying, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Back to the fire imagery. Forest fires destroy tens of thousands of acres of Forest every year in the American West and the Canadian West. We all experienced the smoke this past summer floating down, wafting down from the Canadian fires. Um, Some of you know that my wife and I lived for 27 years in the greater Seattle area, a beautiful area of of the Pacific Northwest of Washington state. And, And I can vouch for you, attest to the destructive power of fire. Sometimes caused carelessly by a supposedly small oversight of a camper who failed to completely extinguish his campfire. Or maybe a, a careless guy driving down the road with a cigarette. He, he tosses it out the window along, along the mountain road, and he's not aware of the fact that that little spark turns into an inferno called a firestorm with millions of dollars of losses. Now, follow the analogy here. In that same way, wicked words spread, inflame every conflict from a domestic fight to an international struggle. And in the end, the war of words may be as deadly as a poisonous snake bite. I hope nobody here has ever been bitten by a poisonous snake. But the pain of a snake bite is intense. It's burning, searing, cramping, paralyzing. Harsh words can cripple a child, destroy a marriage, ruin a friendship, split a church. Harsh words stick like shrapnel in the brain, never to be forgotten by the person who's been hurt. How often have you considered the fact that you carry around inside your mouth a deadly weapon? Psalm 64 likens bitter words to sharp arrows which can kill from a distance. What are the most common types of evil speech among Christians? Well, I can't be exhaustive, obviously, but I'll give you a few examples. Probably all of us are guilty of these. Here's the first one, complaining. Have you ever... Pause to ask yourself how many times a day you complain. Do you know that researchers have actually done a deep dive study and they determined that when we talk with another individual, we complain on average one time every 60 seconds. Our marriage, our family, our health, the weather, our job, our boss, (laughs) the political leaders, I could go on. Then there's murmuring. That's, of course, crying out against God and the leaders that he has established. You you gotta remember in Numbers 21, the Israelites who were were murmuring against God because they didn't have water and they hated this boring manna and God sent poisonous snakes among them to bite them. Some of them died because of Murmuring. It's an egregious sin. Then there's criticizing, and that would be attacking motives that you cannot see. Can I give you a word of advice, a counseling perspective? Do not use social media to vent. Did you hear me? You're a Christian. Do not use social media to vent. It does no one any good, and it only files a media report on the condition of your soul. Use public social media to praise God, to cite scripture, to encourage the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the family of God. Then there's quarreling, angry outbursts, using 100% words like, you always, you never... Someone has said, arguing with angry people is like wrestling with a pig. You both get dirty, but only one of you likes it. (laughs) Then I circle all the way back to gossiping again. Talking about other people negatively. May I share a prayer request with you? Oh, tell me about it. May I pass along that prayer request to somebody else? And we all know down deep our motives are we want to tell something a little bit bad about another person. Check your motives. Before passing along a negative comment about somebody, remember those four famous quality control questions? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Would Jesus say it? The word to the wise, never pass up an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. I've often had to tell myself, sitting in a group of people, maybe it's a, a group of men, maybe it's a mixed group, and, and uh, the topic turns a little controversial and people are starting to weigh in and it's starting to create more heat than light. I actually have to literally sit there and tell myself, Kurt, keep your mouth shut. You don't have to say anything. (laughs) I love this proverb. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. (laughs) Question for all of you. Are you a talker? probably know who you are. Are you a talker? You're especially vulnerable. On the screen, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. And I might add, go easy on the self-praise. Let another man praise you, not your own mouth. People eventually distance themselves from self-promoters. Do you know why people may be avoiding you? It may be because you talk about yourself too much. Learn to ask people questions about them. Lincoln put it this way. What kills a skunk is the publicity it gives itself. Well stated, Mr. Lincoln. Oh, for the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Do you know that every day we speak between 25,000 and 30,000 words? That's enough to fill a book 54 pages long. We do the math, we spend about one fifth of our lives talking, maybe more if we include the speech that comes through our fingers and our thumbs. We really do need self control, empowered by the Spirit of God. Self control comes from spirit control. Okay, to review, control of the tongue is a mark of Christian maturity. Number two, destruction with the tongue is a mark of satanic iniquity. And now to number three insight, duplicity or hypocrisy with the tongue is a mark of Christian carnality. Let's go to verses nine through 12. With it, he's talking about the tongue. We bless our Lord and Father. Let me pause there for a moment. Back in Bible times, In the first century, uh, there was a Jewish custom when the name of God came up. In any kind of a context, they would say, blessed be he. God's name comes up, blessed be he. That's what he's talking about here. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And conversely, with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Do you ever curse other people? From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. As a counselor, I have on occasion assigned someone who has a problem with swearing to memorize verse 10. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Obviously, uh, James loved natural metaphors, and he employs two more here. He appealed to his reader's sense of logic in asking two questions. Does Does a natural spring produce two different kinds of water? What's the answer? No. Does a fruit tree produce two different kinds of fruit? What's the answer? Does a Christian say things out of two sides of his mouth? Our tongues produce words according to our inner nature. What's in the root comes out in the fruit. Our words tell on the condition of our hearts. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a quote with you here in a moment. And you ought to come to a full stop when you read this quote because it goes right to the heart. Here it is. In the final judgment Your eternal destiny will be determined by your words. You say, oh, get out, Kurt. I thought I was justified by faith in Christ. You are. But the reality of that justification is revealed in your words. Your words are a tell. They're a tattletale on your heart. When God gives you a new heart, he gives you a new tongue. So some of you listening here today are feeling the conviction of the Spirit, and God is saying, in effect, to you, you're not really a child of God. You haven't been born again. Your tongue hasn't been born again, even though you profess to know Christ. The most sobering text I found in my study on the theme of the tongues is found in, in, in Matthew Chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. These are the words of Jesus that I'm quoting now. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Did you know, you can do a deeper study on this, every judgment in the Bible is based on Works. That's why in the book of Revelation, there's not only the book of life, but there's the book of works. And at the judgment, God will open up the books of works to prove to you that even though you professed Christ, you really didn't possess Christ because your tongue never changed. How? James. The word justified in verse 37 in yellow really means proven true. Do the words you speak during the week reflect what you sing on Sunday? The great musician Bob Coughlin, he of Sovereign Grace music fame, has said this. It's not uncommon for Christians on Sunday to sing songs that exalt the righteous Christ and during the week sing songs that exalt the sins he died for. So let's review this past week. What you've been listening to? What you've been watching? What are the words you've been uttering? They're a tell. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. And at this point in the message, I've got to ask the question, how do we get our mouth clean? The answer, by getting your heart clean. When Isaiah confessed to having unclean lips, dirty talk, Isaiah 6, when he saw the Lord Jesus high and lifted up, God had to touch those lips with a purging agent, namely the burning coals from the altar of sacrifice. The brazen altar was the altar where there was an animal laid to make an atonement for the sins of the Israelites. And we know that altar represents the cross of Jesus Christ. It is there that he laid down his life on our behalf because of our sin, including our sin of speech. And we must embrace Jesus if we're to be saved. If you want to change tongue, you have to go to Jesus for a changed heart. Forgiveness comes by faith in the heart, but it's demonstrated by words from the mouth. The classic text is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. You know it. Some of you could quote it with me. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. What does that mean? Declare him as Lord. It means he is all who he claims to be, the son of the living God, who laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins because we could not save ourselves. Declare him as Lord. And the verse goes on to say, and believe in your heart. That God raised him from the dead. That's how you know you'll be saved. And verse 10 goes on to say. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession has made to salvation. You confess here what's true in here. The word confess. Homo legao means to say the same thing that God says. Professed believers, what are you saying with your words? Is your mouth on the same page as your heart? And if you have been saved, we need to use our words to build up and not tear down. I love Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 29, let no corrupt communication, no unwholesome talk proceed from your mouth, but that which is good to the use of building up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And then in verse 31, he goes on to say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, i.e. slander, with all malice, that means speaking ill of somebody, be put away from you. And in its place, verse 32, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, because of Christ, has forgiven you. Let's be kind this Christmas. Can you all say that with me? Let's be kind this Christmas. That means we have to be Christ-like to be kind. Uh, An encouragement to parents who are here with children still at home, seven words that your children need to hear you say. Here they are. I love you. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Swallow your pride. I'm proud of you. Yes, you can do that. No, you can't. Let's pray about it. And finally, Jesus comes first, including our faithfulness to the services on Sunday. To all of our church family, I want to encourage you to be encouragers in the Lord. I want to go to my grave known as a guy who encouraged people in Christ. And I want you to do the same thing. So when we finish the service, I'm going to ask you to find a person nearby and say a word of encouragement to them from the word. I'm not asking you to flatter them. I'm asking you to encourage them spiritually and scripturally. In fact, let me go so far as to say, as we conclude, I want to ask you to ask somebody else, is there anything I can pray for you about? When someone shares their prayer request with you, then take a moment right then and there to put your arm around them, 30 seconds to pray for them by name regarding their request. You'll never know the kind of blessing that is by encouraging them with words of grace. Would you bow with me and I'll have a further word of instruction. I'm going to ask you after I pray aloud to ask the Lord to search your own heart and expose any way in which you need to change the way you talk. Keeping it real is the theme of our series. Keep it real with God because He already knows anyway. Confess your sin, the way you talk to others, including those at home. And after you do that, sing with lips that reflect the truth of your heart. I'm going to pray aloud, and then I'm going to ask you to just quietly stay right where you are and pray to the Lord and ask him to search you and change you and help you to display Christ in how you talk. Father, I want to be the first to say, I'm convicted. Forgive me for sinning in so many ways with my own tongue. I know it's iniquitous. It displeases you. I plead the blood of Christ and ask your forgiveness. And I pray on behalf of all of these dear people that you will do the same for them as they come clean with you. Please change the way we talk to reflect what's truly in our heart. And now help us as we sing this final song of consecration. May it be true of every person here, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand together as we sing?